to the Let's Talk Sciences Declassified STEM Survival Guide podcast. My name is Audrey. And my name is Ramir. And the goal of this podcast is to talk about the possible career paths one can take in the field of STEM and the challenges one may face in navigating the STEM world. In the first episode of our six-part series, The Med Survival Guide, we will be talking about what it's like to be a pre-med student. So just a disclaimer, the experiences of our guests today is not a reflection of all medical students who get into medical school. Everyone has different experiences and it does not mean that you have to follow the exact path our guests took to get accepted into med school. So uh, if you're thinking about applying to the College of Medicine at the University of Manitoba, we did link their program admission requirements bulletin in the description of this episode for your reference. For uh, more thoughts, explanation and from the College of Medicine at the U of M. So our guests today include first-year med students from the College of Medicine at the Rady Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Manitoba, Amy Clark and Asif Amant. Amy completed her Bachelor in Science in Biological Sciences at the U of M in 2018 and briefly attended the Faculty of Law at the U of M before being accepted into the College of Medicine. And Asif is originally from Toronto and completed a bachelor's degree in science from Ontario Tech University. Welcome, yes. <laughs> Amy, to your you. podcast. First of all, <laughs> all right, that's How correct. are you guys Welcome. today? Welcome. Okay. Have you guys checked out our uh, pharmacy podcast? Uh, I have not. <laughs> but yeah, it's something I could look look at later. Yeah, that's all, all right. Everybody's uh, been busy. I guess it's the end of yeah. the semester. Audrey was absolutely great in that one. Oh, thank so. you. Ramir was great too. He oh, was quoting th- some thank things you so from much. a yeah. book that he's been reading. So, <laughs> so uh, as I was uh, saying earlier, Asif, you were originally from Toronto, as you have mentioned. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and uh, maybe the difference in, first of all, the uh, I was going to say lifestyle as if it's like Hollywood or something, but uh, the difference between just the city and schools, difference in schools in Toronto and, and here in Winnipeg. Yeah, so I've pretty much lived all my life in Toronto. Uh, I moved to Winnipeg about five years ago, um, and I found that uh, it is quite different, um, especially when I first moved here. Uh, Winnipeg has a much uh, more small town feeling, I feel, compared to Toronto, and the life seems to be a little more laid back. Um, I know it sounds crazy to people from here, but like to me, it's uh, it was a much more laid back lifestyle here, really? and uh, it was quite different at first. But now I actually feel more at home in Winnipeg than I do when I go back to Toronto. So I think I've I uh, I have uh, adjusted nicely over the years. I see. Nice. Yes. Are you, How long, uh, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. How <laughs> Are you a Jets you... fan at all? Oh. Um, yeah, actually, uh, I think uh, I've never been a huge Leafs fan to begin with. So okay. I would definitely, yeah, I'd probably be a Jets, considered a Jets fan now. Cool. That's, that's why he moved, because of the Jets. <laughs> yeah, we don't have very good sports teams, unfortunately, in Toronto. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Toronto Raptors, Raptors are yeah. Really? Yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> Over the past few years, but like, yeah, yeah, back in the day, they weren't too hot. So mm-hmm. that is true. That is mm-hmm. true. So, yeah, that's been my experience. Ramiri, were you going to say something? Oh, yeah. I was just asking um, how long you you stayed in Toronto for. I was there all my life prior to moving here. Okay. So, yeah, just uh, 
Toronto was my world before <laughs> moving here. So it, it was nice to get a new perspective, new experience because uh, I've actually had a chance to travel quite a lot over the past few years. And I just realized, you know, that uh, Toronto was not 100% representative of all the different cities and the lifestyles which, uh, which exist in Canada. So it's, uh, it's nice to get out of, of your comfort zone and go to different places, explore different things. So it's been a really nice experience for me. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Because awesome. like a lot of people would say, oh, I want to go to Toronto, Toronto, like Uncle Tetsu yeah. or something like that. You know, <laughs> that is come across people who've actually never been to Toronto from uh, in, in Manitoba. So like that just seems really strange to me. It's such a huge city. I just feel yeah. like everyone knows about it. Everyone's been there. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a big country and Toronto's just one part of it. And I just I'm more aware true. of that now. True. It's true. true. All right. So Amy... Um, is your hometown Winnipeg? No, it's actually not. Although I have been in Winnipeg for quite a while now. Um, I grew up in the town of Gillum, which is in Northern Manitoba, and then moved down to Winnipeg when I was about 10 years old. So as I said, been here a while now, and I feel like this is my home. Um, but originally from Gillum, which is, it's a small town. It's about, um, 1200 people. It's located kind of in between Thompson and Churchill. Um, and it's also the home of um, Fox Lake Cree Nation. Okay. Is there like a huge difference between Gillum and Winnipeg? I guess the population wise too, but like the community? Yeah, I think it is hugely different. And it was a big, big shock at the time moving down to Winnipeg. Um, I remember I absolutely hated it at first. When I was quite young. I was only going into grade six. Um, moving to a new school, making all new friends. So it was a huge transition at the time. Yeah, I bet. Um, So um, as from the title of our uh, episode, Life as a Pre-Med, so was med school always the goal for you both? I don't know who ever wants to go first. (laughs) I can go. That's okay. Yeah. Um, So uh, no, it actually wasn't. I actually had a career before I wanted to, before I thought I wanted to go into the health sciences, like not uh, medicine in particular, but I did feel like I wanted to do something related to healthcare. So I used to work trades before I went back to school to get my undergraduate degree and then uh, apply for, eventually end up applying for medicine. So it's, uh, it's just, it, it can be different for uh, different people. Uh, the, their trajectory and their motivation for going into medicine, it's quite variable, I found. So that was, uh, that's been my um, experience. And I think that med school was sort of always on my radar, but it wasn't always necessarily like exactly the plan. I kind of came and went and went back and forth as to what it was that exactly I wanted to do throughout my whole undergrad. Um, And I think there was part of it was just a lot of self-doubt about, you know, it is a very competitive program and I didn't know whether or not my application would actually be competitive enough to get me in. Um, Obviously in the, in the end I did push through and I got in and I'm very grateful for that. Um, But as you said, in the introduction, I did do a year of law school and that was because I didn't get into medicine. Um, So it was the plan in a way, but I've strayed from the plan and ultimately ended up here where I'm, I am very happy now. That's interesting. Wait, sorry, just to clarify, you were originally planning to get into med school, then switched to law and then switched back? 
Yeah, I don't think, I never really came off of the pre-med route, um, but after receiving that first rejection letter after my first interview, I think I did kind of realize, okay, I need a backup plan because there are a lot of people who apply and don't get in and this is not, it's not a for sure thing. Um, so it was at that point that I decided, okay, I'm going to write an LSAT and just see how this goes. And my partner at the time also was kind of trying to figure out his life trajectory. And so we studied together for an LSAT. We both got accepted and we both did a year of law school together. Oh, okay. and you, you were in law school then. So you, Monica, you took the LSAT. So you were in law school for a year. What made you go back to med school again? Yeah. Okay. So medicine, it was the plan, you know, and even when I went into law school, I continued attempting to apply to medicine. <clears throat> so during my first year of law, um, I was prepping for my medicine interview, which kind of tore my time between the two. And I wasn't sure in the end, which route I was going to end up, you know, going down. Um, but medicine was always my first choice over law school, even while I was in law school for a year. Um, and so when I received um, my acceptance into medicine at the end of my first year of law, I actually like the same day that I received that acceptance, I sent an email um, to the law school saying I'm, I'm not returning, um, which <laughs> was a crazy day, but very exciting. Um, and I did enjoy that first year of law school. I think it was a really refreshing change from studying sciences because I, I did a biology undergrad um, even high school it was very science focused so it was super interesting and kind of gave you a broader perspective of the world being able to take a break from just sciences um, and and do that year of law school and I'm, I am happy in the end that I did that actually but it, it also reaffirmed that it probably wasn't the right path for me and that I did want to get back into the sciences I mean, yeah, right. Uh, it's it, it seems like, you know, you already knew what you wanted. Right. And then you were just really trying to find that way to to get to get into it. So, yeah, that's that's great. That's great that you were uh, able to do that. Yeah. And I think while I was while I was in law, we had the opportunity to go to a few different wine and cheeses before COVID hit. Um, so I was able to talk to practicing lawyers and you know, although I, I actually did really enjoy the courses and um, enjoyed law school itself, it was in talking to practicing lawyers that I think I figured out that I just wasn't excited about any of the fields of practice and that I couldn't really see myself in that job. Um, so I, I was very relieved to, to exceed, uh, receive my acceptance into medicine at the end of that year. So um, what about for yourself, Asset? Uh as we have talked about earlier, it's uh, you were originally from Toronto, going to school there, grew up there, uh, and then you moved here to Winnipeg. And you you did talk about it was preferable for you in Winnipeg. Yeah, I actually like the comparatively less hectic lifestyle here as compared to Toronto. Um, and I think like when I was really really young, God, like I did prefer, I would prefer living in a high paced city like that but I think with age like I, huh. I've come to prefer the more laid-back lifestyle comparatively laid-back lifestyle yeah. we have here um and yeah just I like to call the city home now makes sense makes sense uh what about when it came to the medical school uh did was it 
did you consider that like Winnipeg medical school and then you compared two schools between two cities? Um, yeah, I, I did consider applying there. I, I didn't apply in any, any schools in Ontario. Um, but I, I do find that the, the application process for Winnipeg is probably the most straightforward uh, of any schools in uh, Canada. Like I, I, did, I did do my research um, and just the way that things are organized here, it's, uh, it's much more simple, not easier, but like it's much more simple to have an understanding of what it takes to get in. Um, so just for, as an example, um, like as compared to other schools in Canada, there is a huge emphasis on the MCAT um, both pre-interview and after the interview um, in terms of um, being offered admission into the school. So that in itself like really simplifies things, I feel personally, um, because you can take a summer, study really hard and do well on the MCAT and you have a really good shot at, uh, at getting an interview. So just that in itself, um, it's a huge plus for, uh, for Manitoba and uh, again, as I said, the city itself is, it's really nice. I, I love living here. I love the, li the, the lifestyle here. And so I don't really see myself wanting to go to school at uh, any other place. So I'm, I'm quite happy here. That's good to hear. And uh, I definitely agree. Uh, most uh, students, that's, that's what they usually do, right? They'll take courses in the winter and, and uh, fall. And then they would take the summer off to study for the MCAT. Uh, and what about this? Just a classic. Uh, why did you choose to pursue a career in medicine? So either of you guys can go for this one. I can take it first. Um, one of the things that I love about medicine is that the areas of practice are so broad and that your day-to-day -day can look so completely different depending on what area of practice that you do go into. Um, and I love that about it because although I did choose medicine, I still feel like I have a huge range of options to pick from going forward. So you're not just kind of pigeonholed into one thing by choosing a program. Um, and I guess beyond that, I knew that I wanted to do something that I found had a lot of, you know, inherent value to me. Um, I wanted to do something that was challenging, but rewarding, um, something where I could continue to kind of learn and grow as a person and medicine fit all of those things for me. Um, and I, I do love science as well. I think that's kind of a requirement for um, going into medicine. But really, it's the application kind of of that science that can be so amazingly rewarding and that really led me into medicine. Um, we also, we're doing a clinical reasoning course right now where we go through patient cases and you try and come up with a diagnosis, which is super challenging. But it also um, kind of reminds me of one of the reasons that I picked medicine is just the huge like problem solving aspect of it that can be so interesting and so fun um, and can make a huge impact on people's lives. Okay, so uh, I guess I'll take it from here. For, for me personally, um, it was a tough decision deciding to go into medicine as opposed to another career which I had in mind. So um, like I also considered really uh, seriously considered going into pharmacy um, but then uh, when it came to medicine, the, the thing that I like is um, the, inter uh, the interaction with patients. So that was something which really appealed to me. Um, I did do a bit of shadowing um, just to see how a physician deals with the patient when they come in. And just that interaction, get a, get a sense of the, uh, 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 get a sense of how that interaction goes. And it just really appealed to me. Like, I, I feel that pharmacists, obviously, they have a huge role, which they play. But the kind of uh, interaction with the, the patients that, that a doctor experiences and the role he plays in uh, promoting health, that was something which appealed to me more. 
So um, I, I did apply to pharmacy, but then I didn't really follow through with that application in the end. Like, even though I, I also did not get in during my first attempt, but um, like, fortunately, I, I knew people who, who encouraged me and told me to keep going that, you know, once you do get an interview, um, it's, uh, it's just a matter of luck uh, to a large degree. Like you can prepare for the interview, but at that point, like you're good enough to get in. So if you don't get in, like I would tell anyone, um, if you've gotten an interview and you have not got in, just keep applying because if this is something you want to do, you really want to do, then it's just a matter of time. Um, there is a classmate even this year uh, who applied over half a dozen times and they eventually wow. got in and that was just reading about that was like hugely inspirational for me that just the just the type of drive that people have to uh, to get in and excel in this field it's uh, it's quite amazing so you know if this is something you really want to do i would say keep trying um and just uh in terms of a backup plan sure you have a backup plan to hold you while you uh attempt to get into this but if this is if something you feel is your calling, then I would encourage anyone to just keep applying until you do get in. Just hearing your um, both of your experiences in getting into med just shows that there's no um, like correct path to take. You can take any path and you all were able to go to med school. You're all in the same place. So that's really great to hear. And um, it's really inspiring for our listeners too, who might be interested in going into medicine. Um, as a pre-med, uh, in addition to preparing for the MCAT and um, sort of uh, preparing for the application process, um, as pre-meds, I, my guess is you also have to do volunteer work as well um, to get your references. So what organizations were you part of or involved in? And how has it helped you now as a med student? So during my undergrad, I think that I did spread myself a little thin and I tried to be involved in as many things as I could. Um, And I wouldn't necessarily recommend that strategies to others. I think it's more important that you find, you know, a couple of organizations or things that you really love and commit your time to those. Um, It'll allow you to you know, as long as you can get your references, um, it's it's also way more interesting to talk about in the interview if it's things that you've committed, you know, a fair amount of time and you're really passionate about. Um, so um, just thinking back to my undergrad, the first thing that I joined um, at the U of M when I started was a student group called Alpha Delta Pi. So it's actually an all-female student group and a large focus is on raising money for charities like Ronald McDonald House. Um, But there was also organized study groups and allowed me to make a lot of friends, which was really important in my first year of university. And I also took on a lot of leadership roles in that group. So I was able to snag a reference from there, which was great. Um, And I volunteered at um, quite a few places, but I think two of the most important probably um, was Misericordia Hospital, as well as Clinic Community Health Center. So at clinic, I was a sexual assault volunteer advocate, which meant that I was answering crisis calls and I was providing in-person support to individuals who were presenting to hospital after sexual assault. Um, so I think that you know being involved in those organizations, particularly with Clinic Community Health Center, 
was actually hugely valuable in, in things like building communication skills, which is so important for medicine. Um, in your first year, you do have to start building those skills um, and interviewing what are called standardized patients. So they're not real patients, um, they're actually actors. Um, you have to learn how to take histories and kind of provide compassionate care and communicate effectively <laughs> with your fake patients, um, which can be very challenging actually. And I think that uh, my experiences that I had, especially answering crisis calls and working with real patients in hospital gave me that level of comfort um, when, it take, when it came to um, taking those patient histories. And I think that was probably one of the more valuable things that I did as well as gave me those three references that you do need to apply to medicine. It's um, really uh, interesting to hear. I actually uh, volunteered at Misericordia too, um, but it was I was a friendly visitor. Um, but particularly, you volunteered for the music and memory program, right? Yeah, I did. So what I loved about that program was that you were visiting... Um, usually the same patients um, or people who are staying in long-term care. So you kind of got to know them, um, which was a lot of fun. And they have some amazing stories to tell. Yeah. Were you able to make connections? I know at Misericordia, you were able to make connections with the residents. Um, but there's also some difficulty when you do make that connection. And then you volunteer the next day and they're no longer there anymore. Um, how, how did you sort of deal with that if you did make a connection and then sometimes you just sort of lose a friend? Um, and how did you come to terms with that? Yeah, it was definitely challenging. Um, a lot of the patients that I felt really connected to actually were staying in sort of interim or short-term care. Um, so they would often get moved into long-term care homes when spots became available for them, which meant that, you know, I didn't necessarily know where they had gone. Mm -hmm. um, they just kind of disappeared one day. Um, and then yeah. as well, obviously the patients who were in long-term care. Some of them did pass away while I was yeah. volunteering there. And it can be very, you know, it can be devastating to see yeah. that happen. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what advice I can give. I think it is just kind of recognizing that it is the reality of the situation and it's very hard to take on those volunteer roles because of that, but you do add a lot of value and socialization is, is so important when you're in a place like that. So I think I was just happy that I was able to provide, a, you know, even if it was just an hour once a week, mm -hmm. I was able to provide hopefully a little bit of happiness into their yeah. lives. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can uh, totally relate to that as well. Um, so Asif, uh, you volunteered for a few years at Bridgepoint Healthcare, and you also worked for a humanitarian relief organization called Humanity First, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, how, what was your experience like volunteering for uh, those organizations? Yeah, so for me, it was an excellent experience. And um, like this was, I, I used to volunteer and uh, continue to volunteer um, long before I decided to go into medicine. So like to me, it's um, a matter of doing something which you enjoy and you, it uh, really helps you 
to grow as a as a member of society really um not just uh, a future physician so that's something to keep in mind um i wouldn't recommend anyone to volunteer for the purposes of getting admitted to medical school because um unless you can really speak to it based on your own personal experiences and beliefs i don't think it really matters um what you did so just just do something which you enjoy um and you and you can you've done for a a long period of time preferably like don't just volunteer you know just just to get your hours in or to snag a reference letter um that would be my advice um just do something you enjoy and um everyone has a different path as we've discussed before and um i don't think there's any shortage of discussing personal experiences when it comes to interview i found personally so just uh just do something that you enjoy um and the good thing another good thing about um uh, from what I understand the, in the medical uh, uh, the whole process is that they don't really look at who your reference is. They just want a person to give an idea of who you are as a person. So it doesn't matter if you volunteer at a hospital, at a relief organization or wherever, um, as long as uh, you've developed enough rapport with, uh, with whoever is you're working with, um, references should not really be a problem. I think it's just having something to do outside of school, which uh, I think it's it's really important for your health even, just to have, just to get away from the curricular stuff because it can get pretty hectic even in uh, undergrad. So just do something you enjoy. Um, hopefully it allows you to contribute um, and uh, learn something uh, in the process. That would be my advice. So there's no there's no golden formula of uh, of doing something and then it helping you to get into uh, medical school. So yeah, just tr just do what you enjoy. And you're helping other community too. Right? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's making a small contribution to the community. Yeah, it's it, it's really beneficial for everyone. I think it's true. Um, my next question is uh, it actually comes from a university student who submitted this. And um, they're wondering how important do you think it is to have research experience? So I did one summer of research in a genetics lab at the U of M. And overall, I'd say it is probably not at all important to the admissions process. Um, and again, I, so I came through the Manitoba applicant pool. So I only know specifically about that application but you don't submit like a CV of everything that you were involved in. You don't have to prove that you've done any research. Most of that information kind of comes across in the interview process. Um, and I didn't talk about the research that I did into my, in my interview at all because I just didn't find it very interesting, the project that I was involved in. So I knew that I couldn't talk about it in a very engaging way. Um, you know, I think that if you can find a project that you're super like genuinely interested in, then that's great. And sorry, research does make up, you know, a huge portion of medicine. So it would be awesome to have that experience just to find out whether that's something that you're actually interested in. But otherwise, I would say it's probably not at all necessary um, to do any research before applying. All right, good to know. Oh, so maybe I can, uh, uh, in terms of research again, like Amy, I, I did a couple of summers of research. Um, I found it really enjoyable. Um, but again, it's not necessary. Um, I, I think, I'm not 100% sure, but I think you get a few brownie points if you have like a PhD or maybe if some publications and stuff like that. 
but um, like very few people I've come across who who have done PhDs. Um, like I personally don't know anyone. I'm sure there are a couple people in the class, but I personally don't know if anyone who completed a PhD and then decided to go into medicine. Um, so it's it's not really typically necessary. So just doing some summer research, if you enjoy it, again, as Amy said, if you find something which is enjoyable to you and you do it over the summer, then it's great. It's a great experience. Uh, for me, it was really fun. I, I, I enjoyed doing research. Um, and there are opportunities, obviously, within medical school, once you do get in to conduct research. So if that's something you truly enjoy doing, then by all means, go for it. But it's, again, not necessary for uh, getting admitted. And it doesn't really give you a leg up unless you have a number of publications or a PhD and things like that. So I think also research, like participating in research, sim is similar to how, you know, when you volunteer, you just get it's it's more for the experience and actually for for fun essentially right it's something you enjoy and then that could be later on as you said uh if it's really you're really passionate about it it, it could help you perhaps in the interviews um but yeah, like you said it it's not a very not it's not it's not essential yeah it's yeah. not it. uh so that being said uh, I'd, I'd like to know about how the medical application process was like for, for yourself. Of course, it, it may change, uh, but when you were taking it, uh, how, how was it structured? Uh, you can feel free to talk about the MCAT or uh, right now we have Casper. I'm not sure if they had Casper before already when you took it. I guess the first thing to know is that it is a long process. Um, I think it takes, you know, nine, 10 months from beginning to end. So the last, I can talk you through just sort of what a typical application cycle would look like. Um, the last MCAT sitting is usually around, you know, August, September. Um, and then you have to submit your application by October 1st is usually the date. Um, and by then you actually may or may not even know what your MCAT score was if you had opted for a later MCAT sitting. Um, so you just kind of hope you did well and apply anyway. Um, and then after that, you do have to write the CASPER, which is a situational judgment test. Um, so I think the last sitting for those is, is in October as well. And then interview offers go out in January. So at that point, once you received your interview offer, you would submit your three references and start doing some serious interview prep because um, the interviews are in February and March. So you'd have a couple of months there if you hadn't already been focusing on preparing. And then hopefully by May, you receive um, your acceptance letter. So it is a bit of a long process, but definitely worth it. Yeah. And again, I agree. It's a, it's a long process. The applications start early. And uh, the fact that, you know, you don't even get your score back, like that was the case for me, you don't get your score back until after you submit your application, uh, which is, which can be unnerving, uh, I think, for a lot of people. Um, but it's, I think just it's important to realize that it, it is a long process and just not think about it on a day to day basis, just go about your life, um, do what needs to be done. And um, just do your best um, and not try to dwell on the small things too much. Um, and yeah, uh, in terms of Casper, that has been introduced in the past couple of years, I think. Um, but it's it's not really that tough of, a, of, a, of an exam. Like it's not like the MCAT or anything like that. 
Um, I personally was uh, told by a friend just to consider it as a, a typed interview, basically. So the types of questions and the scenarios that are presented are very similar to what you could expect on the MMI. Um, it's just that you're typing out your answers and it's a time test. So it's it's not something which you should you know be worried sick about. It's uh, I didn't find it to be a very tough experience writing the Casper. Uh, another thing I would add about the Casper is um, there's a lot of companies out there who are who apparently know the inside scoop or whatever of you know how how to do well in the Casper. So just like don't get caught up. I would be my advice um, in in you know in the advertising and all that kind of stuff. It's not a very tough exam. Just uh, try to relax. Maybe uh, look at a couple of the questions. They actually have those on the Casper website. Um, so these are the people who actually administered the exam. They do have a few practice scenarios. Just look at those, um, maybe type out an answer or two, uh, just to get an idea, get familiarized with the exam. And uh, it, it is obviously a, a, another layer, which has been added to the application process, but it's uh, overall not that bad. Um, so just, just try, you know, just try to take it day by day. Uh, don't, don't, uh, don't fret over it, you know, on a daily basis, uh, do what needs to be done. And in the end, hopefully it works out for you. I would definitely second that um, interview or sorry, preparing for the Casper, I think is somewhat similar to the interview. If you do want to do prep personally, I, I actually chose not to, because I found that in digging through stuff online, you found all these like sort of perfect canned answers, but they may not be perfect and you don't know what they're actually looking for. And I didn't want my answers um, to sound the same as everybody else's and come off too formulated. So I actually chose not to do any prep for the Casper other than familiarizing myself with what the exam looked like. And from what I heard, it's uh, actually, like like you said, it's very tough to pre prepare for it because it's not like the MCAT where you, you can study, right? Like sciences. Uh, I heard it's more critical thinking. That's what they're trying to get at. Right. Or like so. personality tests sort of personality. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, I think more than critical thinking, it's just like they try to get an idea of non-cognitive abilities from what I understand. So it's, it's actually, uh, you're just supposed to, you know, do, it's more about professionalism and how you would act in this given scenario. So yeah, like um, I, I would even err on the side of not thinking of it as a test, just, um, just an outline of what you would do in a given scenario and just be honest. Um, and, you know, just having an original answer, I, I, I personally feel like that probably serves you better than, as Amy said, you know, having the perfect answer, quote unquote. Um, so just, you just try to be honest. And um, I, I don't think a lot of people do very, very poorly on that. Like, that's just my, my, uh, my guess, like, um, it's really hard to do poorly, un un unless someone has no um, common sense, basically. Uh, it's, it's hard to really do poorly on this test. I, I would feel. So don't stress about it too much. Um, just just be familiar with uh, what the test is like. And that, that's pretty much all you need to do, I feel. Uh, okay, we, we actually uh, had that question from uh, a grade 11 student named Ray Lee Torino. So that's what she asked is, uh, what is the MCAT and CASPER test? So I think we've talked about the CASPER a lot. Uh, maybe perhaps you can uh, go more in detail about the MCAT. Uh, perhaps what was the toughest part of it for you or how did you prepare for it? So I could go first if you 
Uh, so for me, um, yeah, so the, the MCAT, it's, uh, it's basically a critical thinking, problem solving type of test, and it just requires a knowledge base in the sciences um, and just the ability to think critically and problem solve, as I said. Um, so it's uh, when I took the MCAT, the, the, the first thing for me was it's nothing like any other test uh, which I've taken in high school or undergrad ever. It's a completely different test. Um, but then uh, the other thing is um, it's not quite as much content based. So if you take the test, you do your practice, that, that's how you develop the skills to do, do better on it. So it's very uh, unintuitive for someone, who I would imagine, who, who are in their undergrad right now, because the, the content in your undergrad science degrees is uh, more, more focused on, you know, the, uh, the topics and just basically memorizing and just you know, just taking the test afterwards, you can't do that for the MCAT. Um, even if you have like perfect scores in, uh, in your undergrad courses, it's, you still need to prepare uh, over an extended period of time just to develop the kind of skills necessary. So um, I personally would say I spent over 80% of the time actually doing practice problems and uh, taking practice tests. And then maybe like 20% of my time over four months actually doing content review so it, it is, there is content which you have to go over, but it's more, uh, more a matter of uh, getting familiarized with the test and how they ask questions and just to think critically. Um, and one section a lot of people typically tend to um, struggle on is uh, CARS, uh, cr clinic, uh, critical analysis and reasoning skills. So um, that again, it's uh, just, I used to do practice passages every single day uh, over the course of four months. And just uh, for me, the challenge was um, to read fast enough because it is a time test. So I, I found like for me personally, for example, like I, I read kind of slower. So you do have to develop your reading speed and things like that. Um, and then just practice. And uh, it's not really a terrible, difficult test I found in the end, um, as long as you approach it the right way and you give it enough time. So. I hope that shed some light on it. Yeah, me too, actually. I find that I'm a very slow reader. And when it comes to eating too, like I'm a slow eater. I don't know what it, I'm just slow. I don't know. What about for yourself, Amy? Uh, so I wrote the MCAT a couple of times and kind of changed, changed the way I was studying. And I think that made a huge difference. I ended up bumping my score up by like 12 points, I think, which actually made a huge difference. Um, so I, I didn't use any prep, um, like the prep company, like classes and things you can buy. They're really expensive. Um, in my opinion, I don't think they're worth it. Some might feel that they need it and that's okay. I think everybody's a little different, but I use the Princeton review books. So um, each time I wrote the MCAT, I did read through like all of the books um, to refamiliarize myself with all like the biology, the biochem, the physics and everything but I, I don't think that that's super valuable. It's very time consuming and it's a lot of passive learning that doesn't actually teach you how to attack the problems when you reach the actual test. So, you know, I, I would probably recommend getting the books, you know, go through them once if you're not feeling confident about sort of the basic concepts, but don't get bogged down in the details. Try and move on to the more active learning as quickly as you can. So start doing practice tests, start doing flashcards, 
um, and things like that, where it's, it's active recall and it's actively problem solving, because that will serve you a lot more when it comes to actually writing the MCAT. Um, I also, one of the things that I did the last time that I wrote my MCAT that I think made a huge difference. And the one thing I think was worth the money um, was a subscription to UWorld, which is an, it's an online, um, it's a website and you just buy a subscription and then they give you like a million and one practice questions on all the different areas, um, all the different sections that are on the MCAT. And then as well as buying the like official um, AAMC, which is the company that puts out the MCAT by their official practice exams. That was also very helpful for me because it gives you the most, the realistic sense of what that exam will be like. And you can kind of work up to doing those exams under like actual timed exam conditions so that when it comes to the day of the exam, you're not, you know, you're not figuring it out for the first time. You're kind of used to being able to write an exam during those very short well, it's a long exam, but it, it feels like each question, you have to be able to do it very quickly. Um, yeah. And uh, again, like as Amy said, like it is a long exam and it does take practice, not just um, to, you know, write the exam questions, but just to, you know, have have the focus to complete the exam. It's, it's almost like seven and a half hours, including the breaks, which is a really, really long exam. And um, I've, I didn't mention um, like a, Zaymi's saying like the AAMC, it's a, it's a, it's actually vital. I feel to get an idea of what the exam questions are, are actually like. So it, it is worth the investment to get those AAMC practice tests and uh, question. Uh, I think it's test banks or question banks. Like they have the really, really similar questions and they're quite tough. So, you know, you just um, a lot of the questions I found, which I, which I found on the MCAT, the actual test was actually easier than the questions on the section banks. So just um, go over those, um, try to go over each each question after you do a test and to, even the ones that you get right, just so you can see the logic behind a particular answer. Like I think on test day, it's good if you do get the question right by, by luck, but when you're studying, it's worth going through every single question, the ones you get right, the ones you get wrong. Um, and that really, I think really uh, hammers those uh, those tough points and ultimately helps you to do well on the test. Uh, thank you for your uh, responses to that question. Um, in addition to preparing for the MCAT um, and also Casper, uh, as a pre-med, you're also an undergrad student trying to study for your courses because your GPA is also important as well. Um, what were your, your feelings toward pre-med courses, like your undergrad courses, and are there any courses um, you're required to take in order to get into med school? So as far as I know, there are no longer any actual required courses. Um, I think biochemistry used to be required, but is no longer. Um, they, they are really looking for a diverse pool of students. So they want students from, you know, any and all backgrounds. Um, which I think is one of the reasons that they remove the requirement um, for certain courses like biochemistry. Um, yeah, um, and again, like uh, I would agree with what Amy said. Um, there are no hard requirements per se, but um, in order to, I think, do well on the MCAT and to have the necessary knowledge base, I think um, you do require um, 
courses like uh, at least introductory biology, so bio one and two in first year. Um, organic chemistry definitely helps. And then um, biochemistry, I think was, it was really, really helpful. For me personally, I found like my particular exam, um, it was quite biochem heavy. So it, it is definitely worth having at least a three credit course in biochemistry. Um, I found that really, really helpful. Um, and then in addition to that, I think maybe a course in statistics could help um, and an introductory psychology sociology course that would be pretty helpful for the, the psychology sociology section of the exam, obviously. Um, yeah, and uh, it's it, it, like, we don't really have any hard prereqs, but I think people end up doing these courses just to, so they can actually prepare for the MCAT, which I think would be pretty hard to do without having these courses. So I would definitely suggest having these courses if they're not part of your program, because it makes studying much easier. Yeah, I would totally agree. I think if you're, you know, just starting university, know that you want to go into medicine. I think taking a science degree would, would serve you very well and make your MCAT prep a lot easier. But if you're not a science student and you're studying something else, don't feel like that disqualifies you because there are no required courses. It'll just mean a bit more prep on your part to try and learn all those courses on your own. Great. That's a good advice. Um, I guess, what was your favorite course during undergrad and, and why? My favorite course was one that I took in my very last year um, of my undergrad. It was actually a philosophy course called Ethics in Biomedicine. Um, at the time, it was taught by Professor Arthur Schaefer, and he used to be the head of the section of biomedical ethics in the Faculty of Medicine. Um, he's just an absolutely brilliant human being. And if, you're, if you come across any courses that he does teach, I would definitely recommend them. It was the most interesting course that I took in my whole undergrad. And actually, I think it was very, very useful in understanding sort of those, those basic ethics concepts that are important for the interview as well. Yeah, so for me, um, it's, a, it's a tough choice, but I, I think um, uh, for me, my, my favorite course I would have to say was biochemistry. Um, like I really, I, even though I only took like an introductory course uh, for a couple semesters, um, like it actually, I, I considered going into a biochemistry major just because I enjoyed the course so much. And I wish that I, 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 I would have known that I would enjoy it so much. So I could have done this as my, uh, my undergrad, but program, but, uh, that was my favorite course. And I think it's, uh, it's pretty applicable to medicine. So yeah, it was, it was good fun. That's pretty interesting. Uh, Amy, how you, so you said your favorite course in undergrad was philosophy a philosophy course yeah you, it was are you particularly interested in just philosophy itself like in no general? I I took um I took intro to philosophy and then I took this ethics and biomedicine course um but those were the only philosophy courses that I took mm -hmm. everything else was very science oriented um but it they were just so interesting um and a bit different from, you know, learning about biology and physics and that kind of thing. Um, so your, it was really engaging. For your intro course, did you did you guys read the the book of Plato? Are you familiar with that? No, I don't think we did. Are you aware of the book of Plato? I am, but I can't say that I know a lot about it. Me too. Uh, what <laughs> what um from what you've read from the book of Plato. Give us a little bit of a summary. I don't know. It's just, I feel like it'll be interesting because considering you, you, 
what I'm trying to say is you don't really have to be, you know, into the sciences or all the sciences, you can be into many things. So for example, for yourself, you're into philosophy, right? So, and how would you say that the, taking that philosophy course helped in your overall, uh, you know, for his, maybe your MCAT test or your being Interview. in med school? Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't say that it helped for the MCAT because the MCAT doesn't really require any knowledge around um, ethical decision-making, but a lot of the questions that you will get on the MMI, which is the multiple mini interview, um, are very ethics-based. Um, so taking that course was certainly helpful for that. I also read the book Doing Right, which for a lot of people is like the golden book to read for the interview. I don't know if it's necessarily true or not, but I know a lot of people do write, read that book in particular, which is all about um, ethics in particular to medicine. Thank you. I was actually waiting for that. See, now you gave me a book recommendation. <laughs> I, can just, I can just read that after right now. So um, now I'd like to speak about the elephant in the room, as you could say. Obviously, we are uh, in a Zoom meeting right now, and I would definitely have preferred, you know, if it was in person, it would have been more fun and stuff. Yeah. But we are in a pandemic, as we know. Uh, and I think for me personally, I, I, when, when it first started switching uh, university courses into online, I str particularly struggle, struggled in um, adjusting to, you know, the new ways of learning. Everything is virtual. Uh, Zoom meetings, uh, although I didn't have to bus an hour and 30 there, hour 30 back, uh, I felt like I was not able to focus so much when I'm at home. Uh, did you guys ever have, you know, any challenges that the pandemic caused in terms of academics or in life in general? Yeah, like, obviously, it's been challenging um, for everyone for a host of different reasons. Um, for me, uh, obviously, it's the fact that, you know, I'm used to going to school, um, sitting in the lecture hall. It, it has its own atmosphere, which I think is, it has been shown, obviously, over such a long period of time to be conducive to learning. And Zoom really does take away from that experience. So that is very, very unfortunate. Um, but I think, for me, it's just a matter of developing a routine and trying to stick to it. Um, that really helps to keep me more or less on track. Um, the other thing is just to get in some physical activity, whether it's going for a workout or if uh, all the gyms and everything is closed and even going for a walk, um, that really helps. It just, you know, clears, it helps you to clear your mind and, uh, you know, you become refreshed and just go about your, uh, whatever you have to do after that. It just makes things uh, a lot easier. So I make it a point, uh, no matter how busy it is to, you know, go for a hike at least every couple of days. So I'll go for five, six kilometer hike. I live in a nice area and uh, in the evening, there's not a lot of people out. So, you know, just go outside, clear your mind, uh, have some physical activity um, and just try to have a routine. And it, uh, I think it uh, makes things a lot easier um, because it, it can be tough to develop a routine when, you know, when you don't have to go out, uh, Sometimes, you know, you can attend your lectures while you're still in bed. So that, uh, you know, for the first couple of weeks, it's really nice. But after a while, I think it just, uh, it really does hamper your product productivity. So 
Let me tell you yeah. right now. That's a that's a very good point. I do that. I I tried not to do that, and then now that's all I do. Like, <laughs> I'll, I'll just be laying down in bed with my laptop open, and then I. I'd fall asleep. It's so easy to fall asleep. So and, uh, easy, yeah. It's so interesting that you mentioned that uh, being in lecture actually, what did you say, conducive? Uh... Yeah, conducive to learning. Like it's just uh, something we've been socialized to do um, from high school to undergrad and now medical school. It's That's where you go. That's where you learn. It's just, you know, even that, you know, the, the sight of a teacher at the front of the room teaching that just gets you focused and orientated and that can be lacking in a zoom environment. So I absolutely agree. I think I, I just want to mention, I uh, watched this lecture by Marty Lobdell. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with him, um, but he did talk about uh, how to study less, but study smart. Mm-hmm. And he did mention there that when he compared, like if you were in a classroom, you would be more, you know, focus because there's the, the teacher presence, for example, when they ask you a question, uh, since you're in a classroom, you're used to raising your hand, right? But if you're in, in a Zoom meeting, your camera's off, you know, nobody really knows what's what you're doing and you don't really have to participate. So yeah, I just like the fact that you mentioned that. Uh, what about for yourself, Amy? Yeah, so when the pandemic hit, I was just finishing up my first year of law school. So we missed the last sort of month or two of that. And then that was my first experience writing exams from home, um, which went okay. And I think at the time it was still kind of, you know, unique and interesting um, to be able to work from home and do exams at home. Um, But doing medicine from home has, has not been a very fun experience for me. Um, there's, there's definitely a lot of zoom fatigue going on. Um, I don't feel, I don't feel near as engaged with the classes. I think just as Asif was saying, there is something about that environment of actually being able to go to class, you know, pick up a coffee with a friend, sit the chit chat before class starts actually is very, very valuable. Um, and then as well, the other aspect that we've totally lost out on this past year is being able to socialize and get to know our classmates. We have had some things in person, like clinical skills, as well as, well as some labs, um, which is great because it gives you a little bit of an opportunity to kind of put faces to names. Um, but forming those connections, I think, has really been lost for our class. And I'm hoping that next year we'll have a bit more of a normal experience. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned it. It's really hard not to see your friends in person. Um, for me, when I like at uni, my friends were like my, my family away from home. And so I feel like I'm away from my family, but yeah, the pandemic has been really tough. Yeah. I think it leaves you feeling very disconnected and alone, which can be really difficult when you're, you know, entering a new program and kind of everything is new and it is, um, it is a pretty intense and fast paced program. Um, so it is important to have that support system around you. And I think that's missing for a lot of um, for a lot of people. All right. Uh, I'd just like to ask a question that most young students, I know I had this question when I first uh, started university, uh, where I compared myself to others. Sometimes I still, you know, can't help it. I still do that now. Uh, I see other people getting accepted to their programs, but, you know, pre- pre-med is different, right? You, you're, 
getting a degree and it's not like the program is that you're trying to get into is so much further down the road compared to, you know, most other programs. Uh, what would you say to, to those students who feel like they're, you know, they're, they may not be enough or they're not worth it, or maybe it's discouraging for them. Yeah, I would, I would say like, um, again, it's, I, I can't, force someone to think a certain way. Um, you do have to, everyone has their own journey and their own experiences. Um, but if this is your calling, there is, uh, you can absolutely make it in this. Um, and just just take it day by day, step by step. Um, don't think too far ahead. Just think in the immediate term because like even once I am in medical school, there's so much to do before I actually go on and become a practicing physician. So like even I have to you know force myself not to think too far ahead. Just take it step by step, um, and just think of it as a journey. Uh, don't don't uh, don't be overcritical of yourself because we we do fail along the way. Um, so just as an example, I think Amy mentioned uh, having to reapply. I personally reapplied before I got in. So even getting in, like it it can take a toll on you if you know, once you see that rejection, um, but it's just a matter of uh, just not trying to get bogged down and having this, having a, some sort of uh, social support, be it through family, peers, someone who's, who's there to, uh, to support you, to listen to your concerns. Um, that really helps. And yeah, just take it piece by piece, day by day. Don't, uh, don't be overcritical of yourself. Um, try to improve. Um, and there's uh, people with different abilities, different strengths, different weaknesses uh, in, in our medical class. Like, unfortunately, we haven't really had a time to socialize as much as we would have liked, but I, I have talked to at least a couple of classmates and they've discussed their personal struggles with me. Um, I've had my struggles in life. Um, so it's just a matter of supporting each other, um, not being too harsh on ourselves or our peers. And I think that that really helps to uh, get us uh, far farther than, you know, just uh, just being overly critical of ourselves. So take it easy on yourself. Take it day by day. Have a plan. Try to stick to it. If things don't work out, don't be overly harsh um, and just go from there. Good advice. Um, for myself, I think this question definitely hits pretty close to home because I, I very often compare myself to others. Um, definitely during my undergrad, I compared myself, you know, to friends or acquaintances that I knew that got accepted into medicine when I wasn't. And that was extremely difficult. Um, I even compared myself to people who had applied for other programs and had gotten in. Um, and you always imagine that they're so much happier now that they're in a program. Um, I think in part that's not necessarily true. I mean, it is an amazing experience to get into that program. And I was incredibly happy, but it doesn't mean that suddenly all your life problems are solved or anything like that. And in part, it, it is really hard not to compare yourself to others and not to be too, cli too cliche about it. But I do think the key is really to compare yourself to you know, yourself today to yourself a month ago or a year ago or five years ago and just realize how far you really have come over that time. And that everybody is on their own timeline um, some people may have got into medicine, you know, after three years of university, which is amazing. Other people get in after 10 years, you know, other people 
have an entire career and a life and start a family and then decide that they want to go into medicine. And that's okay too. And we have people from all of those different backgrounds in our class. So don't put yourself on some kind of artificial timeline. Yeah, that's, um, that's really great advice. Um, I like the fact that you said that everyone is on their own timeline. Um, and yeah, that's true. Everyone is on their own journeys and, um, you shouldn't compare yourself to another person's journey because your journey is different. Um, with that being said, um, as a pre-med, um, what did you do during the application process that made you stand out? I actually don't think I really tried to do anything just with the goal of standing out. Um, I think if, if people, you know, if you're doing something productive, anything at all, that, that makes you stand out. That's my personal belief. Um, so there's, again, there's no golden formula. Um, I know people tend to do a lot of different things. Um, and I, I can't see anything which really made me stand out per se. Um, it's just having personal experiences, being honest with myself uh, and, and being honest at the interview. Um, I think that actually helped me stand out. The, and uh, that, that's, that's pretty much it. Like, I think we all have unique experiences and just doing some, a bit of introspection, looking back at, your, at yourself, you're looking back at, on your experiences and being able to describe them in, an, in a meaningful way. That's pretty much all I recommend in a person, quote unquote, standing out. I don't know for sure what changed between um, my unsuccessful applications and my final application, which was successful. Um, but I think I can try and speculate on some of the things that I had changed along the way. So the first thing was that I, I rewrote my MCAT and bumped up my score quite a bit, which never hurts. Um, and then the second big piece, I think, is um, how, you, how you come across in the interview. So I think that I did stand out on my last application sort of inadvertently because I was in law school at the time and I was able to share that experience with quite a few of the interviewers and they were always very curious about that journey and how I ended up there and why I was interested in medicine. So I think, you know, inadvertently, as I said, that kind of made me stand out as different from the other applicants, whether or not it made a difference, I don't know for sure. Um, and as Asif had said, I, I did spend more time reflecting back on my experiences from work and from volunteering. And I wrote out some of those stories that I wanted to tell during the interview. So you'll find that the questions they ask during the, um, the MMI, they don't always seem personal, but I did really make it a priority at every station to talk about my, myself and some of the experiences that I had had in a way that related to the question. And I think that did make a huge difference. That is that is very good to hear. And um, yeah. it's a pretty, you know, it's, it's kind of cons- a cons- consistent concept that, you know, not it, it's not one fits all. Right. So it's different each time. Uh, and so now I'd just like to do a little. Um, this is more improv. Actually, we, we didn't plan this out. This just rapid fire questions. Rapid fire. Yeah. From straight from the dome. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, we can start with Asif first. Um, actually, yeah, we'll just do that and then you guys can alternate. And then Asif, you can answer first. So during undergrad, what would you say was your absolute kryptonite, like your worst uh, nightmare course? 
Oh, I would have to say stats, hands down. Brutal and boring for me, uh, but it's something <laughs> which had to be done. So, <laughs> but it's good you took it though. What about for yourself, Amy? For mine, it was biochemistry, um, which oh, yeah. is funny because clearly some people loved it, but I did not. I struggled with it a lot. Pathways. Oh. It was oh. a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> I'm about to take that. So, just Good luck. <laughs> try, don't don't spoil anything. Okay. <laughs> All right. Next question. So, um, on a scale of one to five, five being easy. Okay, let's do one to ten. <laughs> ten being easy. Uh, how hard was the MCAT for you guys? I would say about a four. I would say, yeah, maybe like. It's hard <laughs> to rate it, I guess, like a two or three. I struggled quite a bit with it and I did have to rewrite it a couple of times. I think the hardest part is figuring out the right study strategy that actually works. I just realized I just asked that question really kind of messed up backwards. Kind of backwards, but that's yeah. okay. <laughs> uh, what about first year of med school now that you're first year? So from one to 10, 10 being the hardest <laughs> and then one being the easiest. I would say at least, uh, I would say two. It's been pretty tough for me. <laughs> is 10 easy or is 10 hard now? Oh, sorry. Sorry. 10, 10 is hard now. <laughs> yeah, okay, then, then a 9. <laughs> okay, okay. So a 9 then. Yeah, I'd put it at a 9 too. And I think it's been extra difficult just the fact that it's been over Zoom and you haven't been able to like form as many connections as you normally would. I think that's a big thing. Uh, what about this? Last question for the rapid fire. Um, what would you say your best strength that helps you the most in med school right now i think resilience um i'm i'm, I'm okay with failing as long as I, I know how to get back up on my feet and move on that's been the biggest strength wow that was a great answer <laughs> i was going to say communication skills just because i had learned so much um, from my experience doing um, answering crisis calls and things like that and i think it has served me really well both are uh, very very great good answers traits regardless yes yeah all right. So thank you, Ramir, for uh, improving on that rapid no fire uh, question segment. Um, so we're actually on our last question. Um, and we like to ask this question near the end of every episode. Uh, most of our listeners are high school students. Some are university students. And um, is there any advice for our listeners that you can tell them about um, if they're considering pursuing a career in medicine or maybe just in healthcare in general or if they're passionate about something, um, what advice can you give them to stay motivated and not give up on their dream? Yeah, I would just say, you know, don't get caught up in the hype of, you know, something being competitive or uncompetitive. If you, if you want to do something, you can definitely do it um, and try to enjoy your life, especially, especially the kids in high school, like try to enjoy your life, make the most of it, socialize, be with your family, be with your friends. Um, and yeah, you do need to spend time studying, but don't put the other things off for later um, because it's, I think it's really important, especially as a young person, to enjoy your life above, above and beyond everything else because things can happen later on in life whenever. But uh, don't waste your younger years worrying. Just do what you enjoy and things will work out, I think, in the end. I can totally agree with that. I would also say try and explore lots of careers then find out if medicine really is the path for you. Um, it is an amazing journey, but it's also incredibly challenging, you know, and, and we're only in our first year. Um, so make sure that it is really what you want to do. 
and find out as much about it as you can. But don't, you know, don't narrow yourself right away to the one career. I think exploring lots of careers is a good idea. And definitely, as Asif had said, you know, enjoy high school, enjoy your undergrad years. I loved mine. Um, and life only gets busier from there. Um, join groups that genuinely interest you. Don't just join things because you're looking for a reference or because you want it on, you know, your resume. It's really not worth it. Um, try and make lots of friends in university and get the most out of that time. Um, and I, you know, I didn't take the most direct route. I failed a course at one point. I dropped out of several others. And I absolutely loved those years, even though, you know, I had my challenges. Um, it's not a race. Medical school will be here when and if it is the right path for you. So make sure that you, that you find time to enjoy the things that you love while you have the time for them. The other thing I would say is, um, you know, once you know what it is that you want to do, try and find yourself a mentor. I think that can be really valuable. So if you are interested in medicine and you have friends or acquaintances in medicine, you know, reach out to them for guidance. Um, and if you don't, that's okay too. There, there are mentorship programs. I'm actually part of Rady Faculty of Health Sciences Community Mentorship Program. So if you can remember that name, you can Google it. They have social media and um, they will actually connect you with a mentor in the program. That's a really great advice. Um, I, I didn't know there was a mentorship program. So that's really interesting. So our yeah, listeners... <laughs> I think it's great for people who don't necessarily have those connections on their own because it does give you a little bit of a leg up to have that insider scoop. Mm -hmm. All right. And uh, I think that should bring us to our conclusion of our interview. Yeah, thank I, you so much. Yeah, I just want to thank both of you for um, sharing your experiences and giving really great advice. And I think it's it'll be very valuable for our listeners to um, hear about. Um, and also taking the time to just... Uh, spending time with us on a Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah, true. And yeah. with the technical difficulties and stuff. Yeah, technical <laughs> difficulties at the start. Um, but yeah, so thank you so much, um, Amy and Asif, uh, for being on our first um, episode of our second podcast series. The season Survival two. Guide. Season two, yeah. <laughs> We're in season two. Um, and thank you to our listeners for listening. Um, just remember to follow us at LTS underscore U of M on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to be updated on our upcoming events. Also, feel free to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast or pretty much everywhere on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and more. Okay, great. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good day. Take care. Take care. Bye. 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 Um, there's this book by Joe Navarro. He's like an ex uh, FBI agent, I think. Yeah, ex FBI agent. It's about reading body language. Yeah, for me, I think before going to M, I read a book called Being Mortal. But I, sorry, I can't pronounce the name. So I'm, I'm reading it right now. Really yeah, that book. Yeah. Oh, I read. So that's a big one in the MMI. Like you're gonna be stressing out and just gonna be wasting time being like you know, paralyzed by fear. And like, I'm not saying that's particularly a bad thing, but there's ways to address that in a more wise way. Let's just say that. Yeah. A lot of philosophy has to do with words. You know what I'm saying? Like, so yeah. even philosophy states that words are kind of overrated.
some philosophers at least, but like meditation for me and like other ways of being is like a way of understanding the world without words. So without mm -hmm. words and judgments and thoughts. So that's how I would best put it. The difference between the two. Wow. 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 That's it for the episode, guys. <laughs> <laughs>